Howdy listeners, welcome back to Adventure Fit Radio. Today we have Sarah Hendershot. Sarah is an Olympic level rower. Mm. She is a really cool chick. She's a nice cool chick. Tommy made it very, very socially <laughs> awkward in our, uh, in, our, in our Tommy's tribute today. Uh, well, I, yeah, look, uh, yeah, I confess my love for her straight off the bat, having um, only met her over the phone. Hard love it was. Hard love. Hard like, love. Really hard love. That sounds bad. It's, <laughs> well, in a sense that, no, I'm not going to do that again. Oh, I mean, I'm in love with her, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Sarah, Sarah was a competitive rower. Yeah, she, she started from a collegiate level. Build her way up, uh, competed at the Olympic Games, had some setbacks, mm. and it's basically just a story of um, of her her life, I suppose. A little bit about her training, and a bit about rowing, and uh, and a bit about Sarah. So this um, is a story of deceit, yes, of one woman, yeah. against the world. That's um, and a not what it was essentially. <laughs> yeah, it sounds it sounded good though. It was, like, yeah. it was like a movie trailer. One man, one <laughs> desire, two two men actually, <laughs> one one man and one. <laughs> Moderately so less manly, manly man. One and man. A woman. One womanly man. And a boat. <laughs> and a dog. And a dog. And a dog named, over on the seat next to us. Named Steve. Steve. The dog Steve-o, named Steve. The dog. <laughs> one man. One, one medium sized man. One manly woman. And a dog. And Steve. A, Steve. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. The dog. dog. What happens next? Find out on this week's episode of Desire. <laughs> um. Anyway, guys, um, this show is brought to you. This show is brought to you by True, True Pride. Pride, which is a wealth creation service. Uh, were you, were you gonna, <laughs> this is a wealth creation service, guys, uh, and they work with ambitious individuals. Bill, like uh, unlike yourself. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Very good. Uh, you're a fucking <laughs> with ambitious individuals and families looking to take control, worry less, and get ahead. I use uh, True Pride. Bill uses True Pride. The dog over there, Steve, uses True Pride. Steve, how have you gone so far with True Pride? <laughs> and uh, and how much savings per week has that actually uh, amalgamated out to? <laughs> Rough, roughly, rough, roughly, rough, roughly, how much? <laughs> he actually started looking at <laughs> rough, 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 roughly, rough, roughly, rough, five, 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 $550 a week, rough, roughly. Really? That's just pretty good. Yeah, look, mate, it is, uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> so, guys, if you want to um, save rough, 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 <laughs> some money, head to uh, truepride.com.au forward slash ADVF and get the joining fee of $297 waived when you book via their website. We are also sponsored. You do that always. Sponsored to you. We, we are, are also, also sponsored, sponsored to you by Carb. <laughs> it's a new. It's a new sentence in the English. I suck at dictionary. It. Sponsored uh, to not you the by sentences in dictionaries. <laughs> in the lexicon. New sentence in the uh, in the dictionary. In the lexicon. I don't even know what that means. But under, I'm under C. Yep. C for C for um, you by. Um, C for cook. So Carb are a company specialising in anything digital, from building apps, designing a logo, automating your business, <laughs> down to setting up your next event. Carve the partner to be when you want to have more time to focus on the things you love and scale your business. Get 10 free hours on any project heading to ruffruffruffcarve.ph forward slash ADVF. Ruff. And uh, we're also brought to you by Steve the Dog. Steve the Dog, who's um, uh, a diligent and belligerent uh, 
young member of our canine society. Diligent and belligerent. <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, he's relatively cantankerous at the moment, um, which is a sense of negatively foreshadowing a an emotion of anger is what cantankerous means. You got a word of the um, day dictionary. I reckon we should do a start start word of the day. Yeah. I've got a word of the day thing going. Oh, do you? Yeah. What do you mean? It's on my desk. What's your what's what's today's word? Um, I didn't do it today. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's what, the word of every second day. What, what was yesterday's word? Um, you didn't oh, do it, you did you? Me out of the, nah. <laughs> Thank um, No, nah, it's been good though. I've yeah. learned I've learned about three words in the last two days. Yep. What What's the coolest word? Um, cantankerous. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't, can't remember any of them. What, what does that mean, Bill? Um, but uh, we're also brought to you by Adventure Fit Travel, guys. Head to www.adventurefit travel, use the code radio to get 10% off any of our trips, and check out everything that we're doing there. Here's the show with Sarah. Now, before we do this, let's go over the ground rules. Rule number one no touching of the hair or face. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Cool. Um, before we dive right into it, we're going to um, obviously throw over to Tommy, as we usually do, who's sitting right next to me with his guitar primed and ready. So, primed. Sarah, here is uh, Tommy's tribute. Cool. Alrighty. So, for all the listeners at home, uh, my name's Tom. I'm actually new to the show. I'm uh, I'm, a, I'm an intern. Um, and uh, okay, <laughs> we're going to start. This is called "Falling in Love with Sarah." <laughs> Now Sarah hand a shot There's tons of titles that she's got To be so good you have a massive squat You make me feel like I've lost the plot Because I've fallen in love with Sarah I'm singing to an American rower She's one gold, she makes me feel like a failure Cause I'm fat Cause I'm fat Welcome to the show I gotta say that's about the only reason I agreed to come on So I'm just gonna hang out now oh, Okay, uh, cool Wait, is it because I'm, uh, cause I'm fat or <laughs> In love with awesome. Sarah I'm very, that, was, uh, that was very forward, man I know I just, very, look. You're married, right, Sarah? I am. I just got married about a year ago. <laughs> well, look, I know we've uh, we've just recently met over Skype and we've been speaking over email, but there's just something about you that I just uh, look. There's I'm, definitely something going on here. I'm feeling some yeah. sort of vibes. Yeah, some tension here. <laughs> I'm, 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 I think we've made her feel quite uncomfortable to get off this. this yeah. I'm up and about. Um, yeah, Sarah. Hey, thanks for coming on. Welcome to the show. No, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here, especially because of that. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, 
All right, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your um, what got you into rowing and some of your uh, some of your background, Sarah? Sure. Um, so, I mean, I was just an athlete growing up. Played pretty much every sport that was out there. Uh, my parents introduced me to all kinds of things, and some I was terrible at, and some I was good at. Uh, but I got to high school, and I was a soccer player and a swimmer primarily. And in um, the, the United States, for the most part, the way that high school sports systems work is that, you know, you choose a sport for the fall, the winter and the spring. And I got to the spring season and I didn't have a sport to play. Um, so I was kind of trying to just decide which one I should go for. Should I should I try track and field? Should I do lacrosse? And my parents so lovingly kind of told me, look, you don't really have the best hand-eye coordination. Why don't you stick to something aerobic? Um, and so uh, they had heard that there were a lot of scholarship opportunities in college for rowing and that I was tall. So that was probably going to help. And I had no idea what the sport was, but I just went down to the boathouse my first day of spring season uh, as a freshman in high school and pretty much fell in love with it right away. Uh, and then I've been doing it ever since. Awesome. Sounds a bit like... Um School that I when when I went through school it was like you just would choose a sport for summer, mm. winter, and um, mm. spring or whatever. You'd choose a sport just so that you would get out of school. Yeah, that's right. You know, like <laughs> I was on the I was on that. Like you mentioned, you played soccer. Soccer was never big in Australia. Mm. In fact, I didn't like the sport at all. But I was part of the soccer side. Do we? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought you used to what play. Was that word? <laughs> Do you? <laughs> I thought you used to play table tennis. Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't. I would have, though. If I had got me a day off school, I would have played it. Naked table tennis. Naval tennis. Uh, um, so, so, okay. So, you started, um, and this was in, like, primary school or junior junior high or high, did, high school, did you say? High school. So, I was 14. Um, and that's actually, that's on the early side, honestly, for mm. rowers. There's so many elite rowers even that pick up rowing once they've um, reached university and they transfer it from a different sport. And so that that's pretty much as early uh, for the most part as you can get into the sport of rowing. Why right is that? Age 14. Why is that? Uh, well, you kind of have to grow into the boat size. That's one of the factors um, that if you're, if you're taller, it definitely makes a difference um, in your stroke length and the size of the boats are for the most part made for young adults to adults and uh that that you're just going to be this tiny little human swimming in a giant boat um if you if you were to start too much earlier than that but for the most part i think it's in the united states this is particular is that it it doesn't really kick into systems until high school that's not the same internationally i know of a ton of girls who you know have gone to the olympics and done really well who started at a younger age because it was more available um but there is still a little bit of that equipment factor that goes into it Right, because mm. that's not um, fourteen years old to be to be very early to start the sport. Doesn't sound early compared to a no. lot of other sports. Well, you that's know, when you I started rowing actually as you, well. You hear of um, you hear of gymnasts and um, <laughs> weightlifting children and you know starting from six years old. But um, poker athletes, <laughs> poker <laughs> athletes. Um, so okay, so cool. So what did um what did you know, what does a rower's kind of training regime look like through? you know, through junior high and high school. And then obviously we'll talk about when it, when it got a little bit more serious. Well, for me in high school, I think honestly it's shifting a lot. Even within the last 10 years, it's shifted a ton in, in the U.S. Um, but for my experience, it was five practices a week, you know, Monday through Friday after school. Um, we would row for about 90 minutes and 
Uh, some of it is on land training where you're using the rowing machine and some of it is just in the boat. But as you're getting into the sport, it's just important to take as many strokes as you can Mm. so that you can start to solidify this skill and figure out what you're doing uh, on the water. Cause there's a lot of balance and skill and coordination involved in it all. So basically it's like just teaching you to, to get all of that under wraps as, as much as you can, um, as well as developing an aerobic base. So for, for somebody like me, I already had a pretty decent aerobic base just from my background with swimming, but many of these athletes are getting into that for the first time. So it's about getting somewhat, uh, aerobic volume in so that you can start to develop that, uh, that ability. Right. right. So is it, what's the, what does it look like in way of like, you know how if you're an elite runner, mm. then you're, you, you've got to have a huge engine before you're going to get anywhere. But with rowing, is it that you've got to have good technique before you're going to get, going to get anywhere? Do they go hand in hand, the technique and the, the ability to grow a really large engine or because let's be honest, if you're a runner and you've got a freak engine, you're one of them, you can get a cardiovascular, you can get as high uh, of a level of anyone in the world, then you can run like a bit of a spud. Oh, yeah. You can run with your hands tied behind your back. And you're probably going to be all right. Blood That's a huge generalization. Right. <laughs> That's definitely not the case. But is it um, how much goes into like, well, how much um, performance is, uh, is dictated by your technique and by your ability to get a really large engine? So it, it, it's the further you progress into this sport, the more important skill becomes, obviously, mm. like so many sports. Yep. So at a high school level, you can get away with not a ton of great technique and just, you know, a lot of strength and a lot of aerobic capacity, and you can win a ton of races that way. Um, but what, I, what I've seen and what, you know, is happening a ton in the U.S. right now is that athletes at the junior level are not developing that foundation and they're just having to end their careers in the sport early because they get so injured. Um, and so the injury is something that I ended up dealing with a lot in my own career, but it's starting earlier and earlier now because you're, you're actually putting your body under a decent amount of load. Um, it, you know, just doing the rowing stroke and, and, uh, especially in these heavier boats where, uh, the boat is slower and the, the water's resistance and becomes a huge strain on your body. So if you don't Mm. have those mechanics down, you might not even get to the point where it matters to have the engine. Well, for me, I know because I started rowing um, in year eight, and obviously, you know, I'm a pretty decent rower. I mean, I've been to the Olympics and, and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, you really, you really should be on the show, by the yeah, way. Thank, yeah, you should be into. Me and Sarah are really, uh, really pleased to have you on the show today. Yeah, look, I'm it's excited. I'm a little nervous about uh, Bill's tribute, but that's, <laughs> yeah, no, like when when I started, I um, and I gave it up because obviously I just couldn't couldn't handle the technique stuff. But um, I must have been rowing barely to the point where I got some stress fractures in my back, and then um. I kind of caught a quit, so I was like, oh, I'm just... Stress fractures in your back. Yeah, literally really? stress fractures from, from the back. Cause I, I think, you know how, um, you know, there's a, there's a big thing with rowing and pushing your butt back too much and not pulling back like like a deadlift yeah. or whatever. Um, I think I must have been pushing my butt back too far and it just there was too much load for my lower back um, when I was doing it. But um, yeah, I, I found that there were a lot better rowers than me and I had a pretty good engine as well at the time, but... Um, this, their technique was just so much better than mine was. Um, and this was after a couple of years of rowing myself. But how, how much do they, how much about the technique do they drill in from you from an early age? Or do they want to just, like, was it the same with me where they would just want to try to get you fit and then, you know, eventually try to work on that technique? Or was it technique, technique, technique from the outset? 
Well, so funny that you say you had that back injury because back and rib stress fractures are probably the two most common injuries in rowers. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, stress fra- like stress fractures in your ribs. Ugh, it's so crazy how many rowers I know who have had that happen. It's it's like a shin splint for a runner. Mm. Oh, that's the, killer. The muscles, yeah, the muscles around your ribs get so tight that they just pull until you fracture. And mm. I mean, if you have ever, ever had a rib injury, it's the worst thing ever because you can't breathe, you can't cough, you can't sleep and roll over, you can't sneeze. So um, yeah, I've had one of those in my career. I had a partner who I rode with that had five over the course of her elite career. So. <laughs> Yeah, pretty brutal. But um, in general, honestly, this is this is what I look at as one of the problems actually in the U.S. rowing system is that we need to be focusing more on technique from an early age, and that's mm. not always happening. Mm. It's it's happening in in really special cases where the coaches, um, are, you know, are very well educated in the sport, have a solid understanding of the rowing stroke, and want to see longevity in their athletes' careers. But sometimes it's hard. I mean, if you have these kids. Uh, and you're a high school coach, you only have them for one season a year, you want to get them as fit and rowing as well as you possibly can Mm. in that short period of time. And so I think what ends up happening is technique just sometimes is made secondary to trying to get these kids fit since you can get away with it um, to an extent, uh, not really teaching technique and teaching fitness uh, in the early stages. So I hope we can change that because it's definitely not the case, actually, in places like Australia and New Zealand and Great Britain. They're doing a much better job at reinforcing good technique from an early age. Does it have anything to do with, um, and this is just a, a, a guess, but does it have anything to do with like school, different school systems and the rewards for um, the level of competition? Because you see like, um, in, some, in some sports, they'll have, Financial benefit for the school if the team if the team is to uh, if the team is to go on and win something. So so if that certain um, if that certain school group is governed by that system, then there won't be as much emphasis on technique. It'll just be let's win now because mm. it's a financial. Whereas mm. there'll be there'll be schools that does does that there'll be schools that that won't be the case where they'll be able to refine technique because there's no financial incentive. Mm. Is there anything like that 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 goes on in the sport of rowing or? Well, I think that um, that's definitely a pressure for sure um, on the collegiate level, absolutely, and then definitely some schools in the high school sort of level. I also think it has to do with just the history of the sport in our country. It hasn't been around here for as long, um, especially on like the women's side. It's relatively new, and co- countries like Great Britain, I mean, it's been around forever, and so they have such a deep understanding of the sport that they are approaching it in the best way possible. But then also, to be honest, I kind of think it has a lot to do with just the U.S. culture. I mean, like technique isn't sexy. Like they we're kind of we're we're a a country that that is really into being tough and, you know, sometimes like just flexing your muscles for the sake of that. And and I think it has a little bit to do with ego. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting topic because I know that there's room for improvement uh, as a whole for the U.S. in the sport of rowing. And I I just hope that we can get it to start earlier in the process for these athletes. It's interesting. It is also a harder sport to formulate that technique, though, because, I mean, when you're in eights and and fours and, I mean, you're – the, the movement of the boat is so dependent on the person in front behind you that it's just kind of like, well, if we're, if we're not all rowing completely in unison as one and we're not all on perfectly today, then it's just going to go to shit, you know? Did you, what did you start? Did you start with skulls or the when, U.S. When for the most part, no, I, I started in eight and that's pretty common okay. in okay. the U.S. So I learned to row in eight um, and 
but yeah, that's another topic. Like if you were mm. to learn in a, in a single skull or let's say just another two person small boat, I think your, your skills immediately going to uh, be better developed just mm. because those are more difficult boats to row. But for the most part at the high school level, the eights and fours are the most competed in events. So sure. I learned, to, I learned to row an eight. Cool. Okay. And so what about, um, other forms of training? So were they starting to hammer in, you know, the, the effects of sleeping well and nutrition and all that sort of stuff from an early age and, and how, how quickly did you immerse yourself in, in that side to it? Oh, I didn't start thinking about that kind of stuff, honestly, until like <laughs> two or three years ago. Probably um, had, uh, <laughs> 10 pies and then, uh, went to and jumped in a boat and, uh, <laughs> No, I mean, I think about the things I was doing to my body um, at, you know, 20 years old or even at 16 years old. And I'm amazed that I could pull out the results that I did because like on no sleep, on eating like absolute crap, like just not taking care of my body, no mobility work. Um, and it's not until I've aged as an athlete that I was forced to figure this stuff out mm. or, I, or I wouldn't have been able to continue to row. And, and then just as I like educated myself on this stuff. So definitely still room to educate the rowing community on this, on this kind of thing, because yeah, I had no idea what I was doing. I kind of get get the feeling that you learn from the hard way sometimes. It's like, oh fuck, waking up the next morning and it's like, I probably should have, uh, probably shouldn't have eaten that, uh, that heroin. (laughs) (laughs) um, I think, um, myself, I didn't learn the hard way. I learned the just getting old way. Yeah. You know, I used to, I used to any sort of training, any sort of sport, I would just be able to walk onto the field or walk into the gym and just just start because always had great flexibility, Mm. always recover really well. Mm. When I was a footballer, I would play four games a week at some point. And then I, uh, and then I turned 28, 29, 30, and then it's all gone downhill from there. Yep. Yeah, you kind of do have to look after yourself more and more. So that's classic. Let's um, let's we want to talk about your um row row efficient program. But before we do, I want to just talk briefly about because we haven't really touched on your Olympic experience. So how did that all? So we've gotten to the the junior high level, and you're you're rowing five days a week. Um, where did you? Where did uh, when did you turn the corner to say, all right, I want to make this my life and mm. my uh, and my goal to make it to the Olympics? When did that all happen? Well, so I was recruited to go to college to row, so that was a pretty cool opportunity. Um, ended up at Princeton University, and th- I basically picked that because it was the one sport that I knew I could go to a Division One college and compete in, um, and I really wanted to do that. So I uh, got to college and went from training those five days a week, those five sessions just in the spring season, to now training fall, winter, and spring, uh, and doing between six and nine sessions a week. Ooh, so yeah. that, that was a pretty big jump. Mm. Um, showing up to college and adjusting to all that new stuff and then full-time rowing. Um, and it was, it was my first experience with specializing in one sport and not playing multiples. So Mm. that was pretty cool. Um, but I would say that it wasn't until probably like the 2008 Olympics, um, because pretty unique situation since I was going to school at Princeton university, the women's national rowing team happens to actually be based out of the Princeton university boathouse. So I was surrounded by these women on a regular basis. They were in our locker rooms with us. So you kind of get to know them on a personal level or just at least see that they're human and they're not just these figures on TV uh, going and winning medals at the Olympics. And I think that exposure really kind of got me thinking, like, could I take this sport further? What are my opportunities? And 
and do I want to give it a go? It's very interesting the mm. um, the the theory of the people that you surround yourself with that you see day to day, and that's where you'll you'll set your um, your ceiling. You can you can obviously um, be surrounded by you, the even, best. In, yeah, the, like the, set your benchmark. Yeah, that's right. Which go from the best in the the best in the country, the best in the world. If you're in the same kind of training halls, and if you're in the same um, leagues and states or whatever, because we spoke to we spoke to Robert Kabas, who's an Olympic weightlifter, and he said he summed it up pretty well. He said he was born in. Egypt and his um, his uncle and his dad hung around with the best weightlifters in the world. So that's he was like, okay, that's where I want to get to. Whereas yeah. if he had been um, play, if he had maybe been in Australia, where the ceiling for us is maybe get to the Olympics, you know, Commonwealth Games, mm. gold medals. That's where your ceiling will be. So do you think that had a big part to play in you? Yeah, I, I suppose you just kind of answered it then. But but you being able to look at them and then say right that's where I know I can get to because they're not that far ahead of me or I can see what they do day to day? Yeah, I do. And I think I think this is also kind of uh, leading into the way that I'm motivated. Um, and I probably in general am more of an externally motivated athlete than I am internal. You know, I've heard of – I've heard so many elite athletes talk about how they can train by themselves and it's it's – this deep, deep motivation that gets them out of bed every morning that makes them want to be great. Mm. And I definitely have a sense of that, but it's also been my desire to be the best within the group that I'm always in that I think has pushed me the most. Um, so having those women around me in college definitely started to like open my eyes as to what kind of scores and numbers I could pull myself. And, but, but it's funny because like in my high school team, I kind of stopped my growth once I became the best one on the team. And then same for, for university, once I was the best one on the team, like that was about where I sat. And so it wasn't until I started to see the, this Olympic caliber score that I was like, oh no, no, there's a whole nother level to push into and I want to get there. Um, so kind of just finding what motivates you and then, you know, using it to your benefit rather than, you know, letting it become a, a deterrence and whatever you want to go after. All right. So, so what do you think, what were your strengths or what were your, what were you, what were you able to do to separate yourself from the field? Basically, obviously getting to the Olympics is an amazing effort. Where do you think your strengths lied um, in helping you to, yeah, become not just a good athlete, but a, an Olympic level athlete? Um, well, so I think, uh, my college coach really taught a deep level of toughness. Um, she kind of, she was amazing at, at doing that, at teaching us how to push through this, the wall of pain that you get in the middle of, uh, a rowing race. And so that was part of it, just that I used to pride myself on being tougher than all the women next to me. But the other thing is, is that I'm actually a small rower as far as rowing in the U S goes. I'm five eleven, like right around 160, 155 pounds. Um, and, and that's pretty small because most of these women are over six feet, six, one, six, two. We had a, a woman on the Bay or on the London team who was six, four. <laughs> so yeah. Wow. And so I, I like looked like a child next to these women and I had to figure out a way to compete without the size. And so I, I really started to, to go after the technical aspect of this sport, trying to become a more proficient and skilled rower to make up for the fact that I probably wasn't ever going to be quite as strong um, mm. or as big. And, and that's something that kept me motivated in the sports for years because I, I like started to look at it almost like it was a puzzle to you know kind of solve, mm -hmm. that you can figure out how to be the most efficient um, athlete possible, that you're just going to get so much more out of whatever it is you have. 
That's interesting. So how did you go about um, improving your technique then? Was it researching a lot, YouTubing, all that sort of stuff? Or was it countless hours on the year ago? YouTubing, um, you think at this level, at oh the yeah. Olympic level, but pre, just the pre-Olympic level, she just stuck this technique Shit. on YouTube. Not, not before a race. Chris, let's, uh, let's, see, let's see what Chris Bill has to say about yeah. the, um, the concept two here. How to ergo. <laughs> <laughs> um, a, a lot of it, I think, was just like asking a bunch of questions. So like trying to deeply understand like, okay, what is it that the boat is doing? I mean, when mm. you think about it, it's it's a pretty... It's What's a pretty it? complex yeah. thing you're trying to do. Like the boat is moving underneath you and you're trying to get out of its way and you need to keep, keep the boat moving without stopping it. And that's the biggest struggle I see among rowers is that people are getting in the way of the movement of the boat rather than just letting it do what it wants to do. It wants to move mm. through the water. Um, so I would ask a ton of questions to the point where my coaches probably hated that about me. Um, <laughs> but, but then also a lot of just self-experimentation. Um, and the more, that we would switch rowing partners. You learn something different from each partner. Um, and I typically ended up being in the bow seat of most of the boats that I was put in. So that's the, the seat that's closest to the finish line. Um, and in rowing, you're all, you're sitting backwards. So you don't see the finish line as you're crossing it. You see the people that you're in front of. Um, and Mm. so if, if I had partners rowing in front of me, I used them sort of as visual tools to figure out, you know, what just changed to make the boat faster and trying to do that on as precise of a level as possible. Um, yeah. And, and really just Mm. like developing, developing that boat feel because there's a lot to understanding what I just did made the boat faster. And now I need to be able to replicate that over and over and over. Mm. And, um, why is it called bow? Can you shed some light on that? Is bow it- versus stern. So you can see just the terms of the boat, right? So the the four sides of the boat, there's bow, stern, port, and starboard. Did you um, run out of questions, Tommy? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, just, I was um, fixing a, I had, I had a, um, an eyelash in my eye and I had my head down. I was playing around with um, pulling my eyelash up. I think Tommy thought I checked out. I, I think. Did, I was actually you, always, I've actually always been interested to know why it's called bow because obviously the, the base of our bow is it is it the bow. The, the bowel. The bowel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's... Um... <laughs> That's right. The bowel. <laughs> um... Sorry, man. There's an E and an L at the end there, but um, yeah, that's true. No, nah, sorry, sorry, Sarah. So um... just throw me under the boat. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, cool. So, um, what was the actual Olympic experience like? So, um, how did you how shitting, did you... shitting your bowels? <laughs> when did you? Um... <laughs> when did you actually? When did you qualify? And and then. Um... Yeah, what was the qualifying process and when did you find out you were going to be an Olympian? And then I want want to love to hear about what your Mm. experience was like. Mm. So I qualified for the Olympics on June 15th, 2012. (laughs) I I know that date because, I mean, it was just the most unreal day. Mm, Um, And yeah, and so I qualified in the women's pair. And that, that boat class in the U S is a trials pair or a trials boat. So you go through the the trials racing process, which basically is, you know, you show up and you have to win the race on that day. And if you win it, you are named to the Olympic team. Um, Mm. yeah. And I mean, there's a lot more that goes into getting to that process, but it's pretty confusing. So that that's like the simplified version of it. But, um, Essentially, I needed to beat a couple of women that were world record holders and world champions and had just gotten home. Yeah, had just gotten home from a World Cup and broke the world record at that World Cup. Wow. And um, they got cut from the women's eight. And so they were trying to basically find like what other opportunity was left for them to make the Olympic team. 
And so my partner and I were big time the underdogs in that situation and we're not expected to win it, but uh, we we were ready for it and we're really excited actually to kind of be the underdogs um, and came back from this dramatic five second deficit at about halfway through the race where my family is hysterically crying on the river <laughs> banks, like thinking I've just lost my chance. And then we came back and sprinted to, to win. Wow. So yeah, yeah, that feeling was pretty insane mm. um, because it's like all the years of work that you've put into that. And it's, and it's highlighted in this one special dramatic moment, um, which is different than some of the other boat classes that are named just by the coach deciding who is in the boat. So it's not, yeah. I, I got lucky that I got to have one of those climactic moments. Um, but yeah, I mean, then there's about a month in between the trials process and going to the Olympics. So uh, we had, you know, I think it was really just five weeks or so before we left. Um, and it, that was the greatest period ever because, you know, you've made it. And I actually probably think it's similar to, you know, qualifying for the for the CrossFit Games out of regionals. I've heard athletes say that as well. Like that period is so much fun because you you know that you, you're going to go um, mm. and now you get to have this ultra focused time period. So yeah. that, and then just being in London and racing on a world stage was so, so cool. Um, and then all the partying after was pretty awesome too. <laughs> well, that's what I actually wanted to know about. One of my questions that I wrote Olympi- down was yeah. make sure you ask about the Olympic village. Yeah. We've heard about Let- it. <laughs> <laughs> so is it like, I've always just wanted to sneak into the Olympics, get a fake pass somewhere, and say that I'm a badminton player that no one, <laughs> no one knows and cares about. And then just, <laughs> just get amongst it to be perfectly honest yeah. just, just party but um hey guys wasn't it sick when we won the <laughs> fucking badminton party <laughs> what? God, I don't know what that- uh, anyway so was it um what was it like when did the rowers when did the rowers compete is it early early days is it uh mid mid uh, olympics or is it right at the end or we're a first week sport, which is pretty oh, great. Um, that's so good. Yeah. And, and I was actually the very first event of the entire Olympics. So I didn't get to walk in the opening ceremonies because I was racing the next morning. Really? But I was done. I was totally done by day five. Um, and yeah, that was our the day of our finals race was the, the fifth day of the Olympics. So then after that's over, um, I mean – I came in fourth. So there was a little bit of a rebound period there of like trying to, uh, grapple with being a foot away from a medal. But at the same time, you also don't want to waste the experience of being at the Olympics. Mm. So I pretty much didn't sleep for four days after that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, only pulled back when I could tell I was going to get very sick if I didn't. Um, (laughs) and I mean, there's just uh, like all the sponsors, all the big brands are there throwing parties. So we went to like Oakley parties and the Nike house and the Budweiser party. Um, and there was so many fun things like that, but then you also get to go and support your teammates and watch the events and see all these awesome athletes compete in their events as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just like a big sense of FOMO. Like I did not want to miss out on anything. And Mm. so I was going to do everything I possibly could in a week and a half. Hey, sorry for fucking the middle of your show up. Uh, you may have heard my voice from other part episodes like Adventure Radio. You're an idiot. Uh, just wanted to quickly bring you guys up to speed with who we're sponsored by and who gives us money. Um, basically, True Pride gives us money, guys, and they are a wealth creation service who work with ambitious individuals and families looking to take control, worry less, and get ahead. Now, on a serious note, guys, 
<laughs> on a serious note, <laughs> if you if you go to www.truepride.com.au forward slash ADVF, you might get some money from True Pride too. <laughs> yeah. They might sponsor your podcast. Yeah. You That's might right. get wealthy and, and create your own wealth through True Pride. Look, so, I mean, the reason we, you create wealth is because you get more money and True Pride pretty much are an open bank. <laughs> <laughs> True Pride have been giving us money and it's been, it's been great. It's been really good. Yeah. <laughs> now, nah, look, it's a, uh, it's a fantastic service. You uh, Last time we spoke, you were just getting it all set up. Uh, Bilbo Baggins, and now I believe you have had it set up. How have you been traveling with it? Uh, yeah, good. So, um, so we've done a few things. Like, um, for an example, the other day um, we looked at my phone plan. Mm. So, my phone plan. I had a plan that was like one hundred twenty dollars a month, but I had X amount of data, X amount of calls, X amount of whatever, and it made much more sense for me to um, try and negotiate to get a better phone plan. Yep. So I paid a little bit more money and Craig gave me a script for negotiating with your bills. Yep. So he gives you like, a, you don't have to follow it 100%, but it gives you like, yeah, a good way to like structure a script when you're dealing with um, with kind of people like this. So mm. I was able to, um, my average phone bill was, it was 120, but it would go to like 180, 190 a week because- uh, a month, sorry, because I'd mm. go over with data and all this other crap. And um, now I've got that much data, um, a new phone, that much uh, free calls, international minutes, all that stuff. Even mm. got free Spotify. Really? And it's, yeah, and I'll never go over. So it's it's locked in at like $120 a month. So basically, I've saved myself 60 bucks a month there. Mm. So that's like one example of the things that, you know, they can help you out with. Just things that you wouldn't actually take into account yourself or you wouldn't it's know how to things. do. Little things. So mm. it's... The idea for for Craig and, and his team at True Pride is they will get you 150 uh, sorry 150 dollars saving a week, yep. so 600 dollars a month for the cost of 97 dollars a month. Head to www.truepride.com.au forward slash advf to check out that, and you can get your free. Um, you can get you can join for free and get your uh, 297 dollars joining fee waived if you go through our website. We are also sponsored to you by Carve Guys, which is basically. The, uh, the company that we use to do all the back-end, shitty, boring work that we can't be bothered doing <laughs> that gets you guys the show that you know and love. <laughs> and it's fantastic. So now we have three rocking the uh, Adventure Fit train. We've got a new dude, uh, Aaron, Aaron, or Aaron, as he's, uh, as he's probably more well-known named. He's a legend. He likes uh, long walks on the beach, getting caught in the rain, pina coladas, and uh, he likes setting up podcasts. Um <laughs> And that's what he wanted to be when he grew up. But in all seriousness, guys, Carve is fantastic. So it's the little things as well that just take up a lot of time that uh, you may not even realize you're doing. Um, and then, you know, before you know it, a day, a month, a week, a year's gone. And these guys take that shit out of you, you know? Uh, <laughs> you've, done, you've done this really well. <laughs> I've done this really well. I? Yeah, no, but it's a, it's the little things that really help for us, guys. Um, they take that shit out of you and they take it out good. <laughs> they take it out really nice. Better than a toilet bowl. <laughs> so... If you want to head to www.carve.ph forward slash ADVF, guys, you can get 10 hours free on any project. And like Bill always says, guys, you can get your life back. It really uh, it really helps us. We can focus on the, uh, the more important stuff um, that we need to get happening with the podcast. And you can too with any project you're working on. Boom. Back to the show. Oh, I have, um, I have huge FOMO right yeah. now. Yeah. I want to. I want to sponsor the Olympics. Adventure uh, Travel Store. It really just makes me want to like take up a, a sport just, like curling yeah. and then just curl on the first day and then party for the next two we weeks. Could the, we could be best in the world at curling. We could, we could have you curl. seen that sport? Yeah, it's a great sport. <laughs> There's a lot of technique involved in curling. Yeah, true. I actually don't even know what it is. I just looks like balls rolling across an ice. <laughs> an ice um, field. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, that's cool. So. Um, 
So with the um, the Olympic Village, is it just um, is it just the athletes and coaches and, and people that are in there, or do they have like um, I know we don't really need to talk about the Olympic too much, but at uh, the Olympic Village too much, but is it um, is it just the Olympic athletes, coaches, and sponsors, or do they have like um, do they open it up to the public? How does it all work? Any plus ones? Yeah. So it's <laughs> it's pretty much it's just um, athletes, and not even all coaches get access, but most do, and then. Um, any special like national or your national governing body, um, representatives, some of them stay there and you're allowed to bring guests in for short day passes. So like my family came in to do a little tour, but that was it. Like you're not allowed to spend the night. They're they're really strict. Yeah. They're really strict (laughs) on security. So, um, we could get on a governing body. We we could get on a governing body. How do you mean? Or we could just oh, we apply. Could, yeah. yeah, we could yeah. just apply for the apply well, for the role. I, I still think it'd be better if we just started curling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, Sarah. <laughs> sorry, Sarah. We're, we're idiots. Um, Being stupid. <laughs> all right, that sounds great. So, um, and then, so your plan was to compete at Rio. Yeah. So I mean, I think that fourth place finish kind of sucked me in for another cycle. Mm. Um, we were really close, and I when I came home and I watched the tape. I saw so many mistakes that we had made and just like a ton of untapped potential and basically thought to myself, you know, if I put four more years into this, I'm just starting to scratch the surface on my potential. Like, I think I could definitely do this. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I just recently, I'm, I mean, I, I say I'm attempting to retire because I've seen so many athletes do this as well and they get sucked back in. Um, but I, I, att- I'm attempting to retire since last June. I just missed the Rio squad. Um, but the, the four years that led up to that, I think were actually way more important and, and satisfying than the years that led to my Olympic birth, um, for London. Mm. So, So even though I missed this one, like so much changed and so much developed, so much that happened developed me as a person that I actually feel pretty okay with the fact that I didn't make the team because I'm able to walk away with a lot of different experiences and benefits from that whole process. So, what yeah. what do you what do you think were the the reasons that it was so much more satisfying? I mean, what can you break it down a little bit more? Why the last four years was was it because you'd already made it to the big stage and this was now just about bettering yourself and there wasn't as much stress? Or what was it that made this four years of training so much more enjoyable? Well, there was plenty of stress um, because you always want to win and you want to yeah. do the best that you can. So there was still that that pressure to to perform on, like on a daily basis. But um, essentially, what happened to me was after the London Olympics, I joined back up with a group that trains out of Princeton, and um, you know was going to give it a solid go with that group. And I just kept getting injured, and it was just this terrible, almost like twelve month cycle of me constantly being hurt and. There was a point where I couldn't sit for more than like 10 minutes without getting being in excruciating pain. Like I couldn't even go out to dinner. So there was no way that I was going to be able to sit in a boat and compete at an elite level. Um, And the way that the insurance policy works for for the um, Olympic Committee is that if you aren't one of the top performers in your team, then you actually get dropped off of the funding. and, And that includes health insurance. So I like kind of like when I needed it the most, I didn't have it anymore. And I needed to go, I needed to basically make a decision. Like either I'm going to stop rowing because I can't stay healthy or I need to go find an alternative way of training and, or somebody that's going to get me healthy. And, uh, that's what I decided to do. I left Princeton and I went basically searching 
for a way that I could stay healthy, that I could get pain free and that I could reach my potential under a training plan that wasn't going to keep breaking me. Um, Mm. and, and so that journey, like started to basically led me all over the globe. Um, and I got to work with all different kinds of coaches and just minds in the sport. And I trained with different national teams. Like I got to train with the New Zealand women's uh, rowing team for two winters in a row. Um, and, uh, just learned so much throughout that process. And then it really became like, I was the captain of my own ship rather than being kind of like a cog within a system. And so I think that ownership over my process made it a much more rewarding experience. So this is what I find interesting with Olympians is that because it's only every four years, it really has to be kind of like a lifestyle thing for you just to have that, like you mentioned internal and external motivation before. The thing with CrossFit Games athletes is that it comes every year, so they can always go, oh, I'll put another year, I'll put another year. But once every four years is insane. You know, how did you, yeah. how do you keep yourself motivated day in, day out when you know that, you know, oh, I could have a week off here and there, I could have a week off over there, it's three and a half years away, um, doesn't really matter. Like, what, what sort of some of the stuff that you do to, apart from obviously just absolutely loving it? Well, um, yeah, I mean, it, it is tough with only one big competition every four years. Yeah. I mean, there is a, there's a world championship every summer. So that does help. Um, you kind of look to that as a, as a short-term goal every year. And then it's just about setting all kinds of short-term goals for yourself. Mm. And, and then, I mean, on knowing in the back of your head that somebody else is doing more always. Mm. Um, and, and that's often enough of a motivation, but yeah, just kind of breaking the process up because otherwise it seems like this huge overwhelming piece of time. Um, and, and you kind of need to take it chunks at a time. We'd break up our training, um, cycles so that there were goals along the way that we were trying to accomplish that just made it a lot more manageable that way. Yeah. See that, that one for me with always, someone's always doing more. It just pisses me off because it's like, oh, fuck it. Who cares? I'm just going to eat this. (laughs) doesn't matter. (laughs) Um, so in your travels, Sarah, and since you, um, since you, you needed to develop or, or find a new style for, um, for yourself to stay active in the sport, what what were you able to find, and like, what do you do now that's different compared to um, your regular training routine pre injury? So a big part of it was just looking at looking at the sport from a skilled perspective, like we were talking about earlier. Mm. Um, stop, like not looking at it as fitness is the only important thing, but also realizing that there is a very big skill in just the body and movement, movement mechanics that are needed, uh, to accomplish the rowing stroke in the way that it's like, it should be, um, you know, achieved. Um, so that was one just completely changing, changing my mindset on it, looking at it as a skill. Mm -hmm. Um, and then actually like, this is how I got into CrossFit. I found CrossFit as a tool to keep me healthy. Um, which I think is pretty funny considering, some of the reputation of, you know, that you can get hurt doing CrossFit. I was actually using it to stay healthy Mm. because we realized there were just so many imbalances in my bodies and I was really weak in certain areas. So by using this varied program, we were actually able to turn me into more of an athlete. We, we We turned me away from being just a specialized rower to now also having some of those athletic components, um, back into my system. And that, uh, that in turn made me a better rower because it helped me to pick up skills more easily. I think you can, you can open this like pathway neurologically where all of a sudden learning becomes easier again, if Mm. you're doing different things on a regular basis. So that, that was a big part of it. And then in general, I just transitioned from 
this really high volume, like long, slow distance approach to the sport and started to look at it more as, okay, this is a seven minute race. We're not racing a marathon. Um, you know, let's, let's, let's train this in with some high intensity and, um, less volume and then just make all of it very high quality. Yeah, that's interesting. So what were some of the, uh, imbalances and, and things you had to work on? Cause I understand that as a rower, you're probably going to have more strength in one side from pulling, um, whether it's with your, your right or your left arm, but what, what were some of the specific things that you worked on? So, yeah, exactly. So I'm like an ambi turner. Um, I'm a port. So that means I'm always turning to my right side. So even still now, like my whole right side of my body is much more compressed than my left. Mm. Um, but, but my glutes were totally shut off, like completely shut off because I was super quad dominant. Um, and so basically leaving this completely like untapped posterior chain to mm. create power in the boat. Like I wasn't using any of it. Um, and then the other part being just my posture. So, uh, like really needing to develop core strength and back strength, uh, so that I could sit in this more supported, strong position mm. that would, that would protect me from injury rather than this kind of like slumped reaching really far position, which a lot of rowing coaches actually teach. They teach that position to try to get you to gain more length. But mm. it ends up being it ends up being just kind of like false length because yeah great I can like reach out a few extra inches but I'm not nearly as powerful in that position so it's it's kind of pointless to to be in that spot mm. uh, rather than yeah using the support of your your structure right mm. so when you were um when you went from doing longer style rowing uh rowing training to short and sharp what's like what's an example of a day in the gym in the longer system that you were that you were used to compared to what you would do now like what's a what are some examples of some just a day so okay so under the like long slow distance program it's about like 200 to 240 kilometers per week of rowing right. um <laughs> that's that's split between like rowing on the water and rowing on the rowing machine um and uh, yeah, about 50% of that honestly would be on the rowing machine, which is a totally different load on your body. So that, that was pretty hard because you're, you're just dealing with that, that like much heavier load that can then break you down kind of faster. Um, we would do that broken up into two or three sessions per day. Um, and a typical session would be like a 20 to 22 K row where you just go out easy and like not really focusing on anything much besides just rowing with your partner. And maybe there's a little bit of coaching direction, but it's like more than anything, it's get the miles in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then two, maybe three times a week, there would be some kind of a strength session, but it was more of like a three by 10 kind of a training, um, without, without a ton of direction. Um, and then when I switched to this like high intensity approach, we went from that like 200 to 240 kilometers per week to more like 150, um, kilometers per week at at our max. Um, and we were getting a lot of our aerobic training instead through like biking and running. Um, and actually just like metabolic conditioning in the gym as well. Um, but that, that training went from instead of potential three a days, like we never did a triple, we only ever did doubles. Um, and that would, it would be doubles six days a week and then a complete and total rest day on Sundays. Mm. Um, and that would be three sessions in the gym per week. Um, and those were focused sometimes more on just strength development and sometimes more on metabolic conditioning of like moving quickly and well under load. Um, and then it, for the most part afternoons that we weren't, uh, in the gym, we were cross training. So 
we were just on the water in the mornings and then just cross training in the afternoon or in the gym. And so that's a lot less time doing the actual rowing stroke, um, which I think makes it so that you appreciate the times that you are getting to row because it's less. So you need to make them count. Mm. Um, but also I was slightly fresher along the way. Like I would rebound from these workouts more quickly and then, um, able to bring a lot higher quality to my next session. Um, yeah, so there was a big difference between those two, but I think it also really kind of fit my, my physiology. Mm -hmm. Like I'm definitely more of a power athlete and I can handle a lot more intensity and power work than I can long aerobic work. That stuff would just turn me into a zombie. Like I just couldn't function. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think that's, um, you think this style of training should be implemented from a younger age to try and, um, try and I suppose lengthen the length of an athlete's prime and, and peak condition? Well, I think the approach with skill and the strength foundation is really, really important. Yeah. So I think, um, looking at it that way that every stroke you take needs to be quality and there can't be any junk miles. Um, but there is a place for developing your, your aerobic base, uh, still as a junior athlete. So no, I don't think it all needs to be done with the rowing stroke. I think you can absolutely do it um, with cross training, but you can't completely get rid of the aerobic component because you, that, that needs to be built at some point, um, in your career, I think in order for you to reach a, a high level. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think all high school athlete ki kids should be doing a very dialed in strength training program, even if it's not with heavy, heavy weights, but you're just learning the movements, you're learning how to activate the muscles that you should be using in the rowing stroke. And then you're laying a foundation for just to, to become a healthier human and then a much healthier rower. Mm, for sure. Awesome. So what was your nutrition and diet like, um, during that time with, uh, with your peak, uh, peak sort of volume? Um, so, so that was pretty dialed into, and that, that mm. didn't start until I left, um, Princeton either. So I, I cut all grains from my diet and all sugar and Whoa. all alcohol. Um, so that, that was pretty huge. And I mean, not, not like a strict paleo because I found that keeping dairy in my, uh, diet actually made a big difference in mm. how, how I absorbed fats and, um, nutrients. But, um, yeah, in general, I was, I was very, very clean, like cooking all of our, our own meals and really focused on the timing of food. Mm. Um, and then, and then just using fat sources as a much more dense energy source, because I for sure was just burning all kinds of like junk carbs as my, um, as my fuel before that and would bonk during sessions all the time mm. and had no idea what was going on. Like would blame it on my fitness or like just being tired or overtrained when in fact it was a nutrition issue. And so getting that dialed in made a huge difference too, because I just like had so much more energy to, to, to push in hard sessions and in long sessions. So I'm really interested that you cut sugar out completely because a lot, a lot of the time these sort of, I mean, you're training for that much volume, you know, coaches and all that sort of stuff. They normally recommend having sugar or, you know, that quick fix during, during your training. And then maybe something a little bit at the end before you have your protein and all that sort of stuff. Was that was that a decision totally made by you or did you have um, some influence from, from some other people that were doing that? And how did you go with the withdrawal of just having all of a sudden no sugar? <laughs> oh, it was totally brutal. Like yeah. awful. Yeah. Um, there were about three weeks where I just couldn't really do anything in mm. far, as far as training went. Um, like all my numbers were shit and yeah. I just kind of had to like wait to get through that period. Um, and so I think, yeah, I mean, it's hard to be patient for that, for that stretch of time, but we kind of knew that it was going to end up paying dividends on the other side. Mm. So yeah, I, I was working with nutritionists and different doctors and also just talking to 
athletes that had done the same thing and it, it had really helped for. Mm. Um, but I ended up just finding other things that like to fill in what you're talking about, like with sugar, um, intake. So I like, I don't know if you guys have heard of three fuel, but that, that was like my go-to right. during and before and after all of my sessions, because that didn't have sugar in it, but it was able to keep my, like my energy going. Um, and was just really big for my training in general. So finding out like what, what I needed to sub. So if I'm going to take out sugar as an energy source. Like it needs to be filled in with something else. And that awesome. was fat, obviously, was it? That was what? Sorry. That was, that was you using more fats as a fuel. Yeah. So that, yes. yeah, that's a, it's a, um, a, a fat protein and carb based drink. But, uh, the, I think the fats are, were the biggest key for the way that it was affecting my, my energy sources. Sure. Sure. Right, interesting. So, um, Sarah, we might um, we might get you out of here shortly. Um, we want to go to six from six, though. So, are you ready for our three questions from me, three questions from Tommy? <laughs> I think you could have done that a little better. It could be like, "Are you ready <laughs> for?" Uh, it's like, "Hey, uh, we've got like a couple of questions that we, you know, you, yeah, uh, well, it's a conversation, <laughs> mate. It's not, uh, I'm not announcing the UFC, but don't you announce? In, in, yeah, that's true. <laughs> hey, Bill, how's it going? <laughs> Let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> uh, yes, sorry, Sarah. So, um. Uh, are you prepared for six versus six versus six? Six from six? <laughs> yeah, I'm good to go. Okay, okay. Let's let's try and get this out. Um, I'm sorry, Sean. <laughs> let's try and get this out sufficiently yeah. well. All right. So, my first question, Sarah, is um, favorite travel destination can be a um, big town, small town, <laughs> country, Little continent, province, area, <laughs> suburb. You know, it can be anywhere. <laughs> Um, uh, so the, my favorite place that I've traveled to was for rowing actually, but it's, um, Bled Slovenia. I don't know if you've ever been or well, heard of it, but nah. it's this tiny little place in Slovenia. There's this, the lake that we rode on is called Lake Bled and it's unreal because there's this island in the middle mm. that has this church on it. And then there's, um, you know, a cliff on the side of the lake that has this giant castle looking over it and you're in the middle of the Alps. So it's a pretty unreal spot and wow. um, apparently a, a popular European like vacation destination, but it was it was a pretty awesome place. I'd like to go back there. Oh, wow. I'm just looking it up here. It looks beautiful. Look. Is that the yeah, one with like a little like- Oh, um, whoa, That's insane. It's like a little um, town church thing in the middle of the island. The nightlife looks good yeah. too. <laughs> and oh, we, yeah, beautiful. we swam to it. After we were done racing, we got to actually swim out to that church. So um, it's a pretty pretty awesome spot. Yeah. yeah, it looks great. That is awesome. Um, so next question for me is your dream destination. So it's same again, can be absolutely anywhere. Um, so uh, somewhere that's on my list of I need to go here. Um, I really want to go to Iceland. Uh, awesome. Just heard so many amazing things about it. I think I need to wait until the summer to do it because I'd rather not only go for about three hours of sun a day, but, um, yeah, it sounds just unreal. Yeah, no, Iceland would be great. That's, uh, with adventure fit, um, adventure travel, we had our first trip in New Zealand and it was a decision between New Zealand and Iceland. And we chose New Zealand just because of its geographical ease with Australia, Mm. but it's pretty much the number one place in the world that I want to get to as well. That's a great one. Um, Third question for me is, do you have any books that you like to recommend to people? They can be self-help books. They can be fiction books. Anything? Do you have anything that comes to mind? 
Yeah. Um, so a book that I recently read that I absolutely loved, um, was win forever by P Carroll. Um, he NFL football coach and just basically like broke down his coaching and sport philosophy. And I think a pretty cool perspective on like what it takes to create a, a successful environment and, and like just some awesome coaching strategies. Right, it's a very strong title. Yeah, yeah, isn't it? <laughs> Win forever. Yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Is, is that guaranteed? <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. Tommy, you're up. All righty. So, Sarah, what do you like to do in your spare time or when you have downtime, when you have some downtime? <laughs> um, so, I'm kind of boring, but <laughs> I love to cook. So, I cook a lot and I'm still rowing for fun. Mm. So, I guess that, that would be another one. And then, yeah, just... Sleeping, spending time with <laughs> my husband. Sleeping. <laughs> oh, I'm bored. I'm well what do you bed. like to do? Uh, what do you like to do when you sleep? Yeah, oh, I just uh, yeah, I just, I just really kind of think really about stuff. And yeah, what's uh, what's your favorite sleeping. dish? You like? Sleeping yeah, is classic. <laughs> what um, what's your favorite dish you like to cook? This is um, this is uh, question one, part A. Uh, I cook a pretty good chicken marsala. If you've mm. ever heard of that, I've heard, um, I've heard of chicken. <laughs> yeah, my family's Italian, so we have like our roots. You know, in Italian cuisine, even mm. though like for a while I had to totally give that up while I was training. That was part of the deal. No pasta. Um, Ooh, yeah. But but yeah, uh, lots of Italian food's good too. Beautiful. Okay. Um, biggest role model growing up as a kid or current role model apart from that Tom dude from Adventure Ready? Ready? <laughs> <laughs> uh, growing up. So... When I, when I was growing up and I was swimming mostly, I was obsessed with Janet Evans. Mm. So she's this swimmer uh, that competed in the 88 Olympics. Um, mm. And so, yeah, I actually guess I kind of saw her and thought, man, I'd love to go to the Olympics someday, but mm. wa- thought it was maybe going to happen in swimming because that was the sport that I had started from a young age. Um, and she was kind of unique because she was a smaller athlete um, and competed in her first games when she was really young. So like the, the stories they tell of her are like that she was just tiny compared to everyone. And I, and I thought she was pretty, pretty badass. Mm, that's cool. I like that. Um, yeah. and finally, if you could invite three people dead or alive to dinner, uh, who would they be and why would they be there apart from your family? Okay. So let's see. Um, Peyton Manning, I think I, another one, this one might, you guys don't follow the NFL. Peyton Manning is the, US, the uh, but- <laughs> quarterback for the, who is it again? Oh, he was for the Denver Broncos. He just retired. Oh, that's um, right. Yep. But like legendary quarterback mm. uh, in the NFL and just like such a smart guy. The way he approached sport was like he was not the strongest. He did not have the best throw, but he was a diligent like student of football. Mm. So kind of just I think I'd love to pick his brain on on sport in general. Mm. Um, That's a good one. Then let's see. Um so the Great Britain women's uh pair coach, Robin Williams. I would love to sit down with him. He he has produced now this women's pair that is uh, two-time Olympic champions, and like I've competed against his rowers. And Great Britain in general is pretty like safeguarded on their system because they they know what they're doing and they're good at it, and so they don't really let too many people in to see what's going on. Mm. So I'd I'd love to kind of like hear more from him. Um, sounds like a funny dude. Feed, feed him some truth, some truth serum. It sounds like a funny dude. <laughs> <laughs> put, 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 put some put some truth serum in the uh, truth serum in the meal there, so you can. <laughs> Pick, uh, pick the brain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then let's think. I'm third. So maybe something fun like uh, like Amelia Earhart. 
like oh, hear good, what the yeah. heck happened to her. Yeah. Talk to a cool woman. Yeah. She um she wasn't going over the Bermuda Triangle, was she? She just kind of went over the Pacific and never came back. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was it was the Atlantic. Oh, right? the Atlantic. I think that's it, right. Yeah. Gee, that's sad, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I actually don't know anything about that story. Amelia Earhart. Oh, nah. mate, it's a classic. It's up there like the Wind of the Willows. What, what is it? Oh, it's just a really sad... Cause, so she was she was the first ever female pilot to go solo, solo. around the world yeah. or something. Yep. And then on this other trip, she was going along Atlanta and then she just disappeared. Really? Yeah, you're right. So she was she was the first one to make it across the Atlantic Ocean and then I think she disappeared while she was trying to go around the world. Oh, yeah, right. So okay. I, Other way around. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, fascinating yeah. story. Shit. Yeah. Um, cool. So, so Sarah, um, just to uh, to finish up, where can people find you? And do you have anything to plug? Obviously, you've got your own um, your Roficient that we uh, that we should probably talk about now. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? And then where um, yeah where people can find you yourself and so forth. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so um, we, I just launched. Actually, Roficient's pretty new. We launched it um, you know less than six months ago, but it's growing pretty quickly, which is a lot of fun. And it's essentially a rowing training program that's helping rowers maximize their performance, um, using what we've learned in our Olympic training. So, uh, we're kind of straddling the, the rowing world and the CrossFit world right now, you Mm. know, teaching CrossFitters to be better rowers, but then also teaching rowers to be better athletes. Um, and so you can find that, um, at rowficient.com and then our handles just at rowficient. Um, and then for me, I'm on all of my social media stuff at Sarah Hendershot, and I don't have an H after Sarah. So just one H in the handle. Gotcha. Easy. Okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> well, thanks yeah. so much for coming on the show, Sarah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Let's get to talk this all out. It was good. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed the tribute. <laughs> yeah, I'll, sing, I I'll it. sing it to you again. I'll sing it to you again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Just not, not, in, not in front of her husband. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit oh, pushy, man. Yeah, it's a bit pushy. I got a little too excited. Didn't I? Yeah. Um, I was good to sing it to him as well. <laughs> uh, you should get him to sing it. I know. He should cover it. Yeah, we, that's actually not bad. <laughs> I've fallen <laughs> in love with... <laughs> um, all right. I'll definitely have a bet. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Uh, thanks a lot, Sarah. And that's a wrap. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. All right, guys. If you liked our show with Sarah, if you were, um, if this is the first time listening, then make sure you hit the subscribe button. Mm. If you are a long-time listener, please go ahead and give us a rating and review on iTunes. That would help us grow which means it would help us get more listeners, which means it would help us get more sponsors, which means we can provide better shows for you as in we can um, we can get some really high-level guests that we might have to travel to. We can also start our uh, YouTube channel that we're, we're looking at at the moment. Yep. We can also um, feed ourselves much better. We, we won't be as hangry and, uh, and malnourished during the shows. So, to, to give you an example, guys, um, for the past week, I've only been eating apples. Um, it's it's tough. It's a tough life. I'm not going to lie. Um, I feel like a horse. Red apples, right? Uh, re- yeah, red red apples. Red apples have more protein. Yeah, that's right. And th- I mean, that's what I looked at. I mean, I've you know I don't have a lot of money right now. Um, and I, I'm or worried. Friends. Oh, I don't have a, I don't have any friends. Mm. Um, I'm 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 down. Are you all right? Man? I'm uh, I'm I'm not the best. <laughs> no, I'm up and about. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Anyway, so um, so <laughs> okay. also also also, uh, if you liked anything from the show that you want to check in on, guys, you want to go back, use as a resource anything that we discussed, head to www.adventurefittravel.com forward slash radio. That's where you'll find all of our show notes. Everything that's mentioned will be linked in there. Hopefully, 
Um, also, don't forget to check out our sponsors, mm. True Pride. Head to www.truepride.com.au forward slash ADVF to get your $297 joining fee waived. If you decide to go ahead with those guys, phone call is free. See what they can do for you. And then uh, if you decide to go ahead, there'll be no joining fee. Head to carve, www.carve.ph forward slash ADVF. Get 10 hours free on any project. Get your life back, upscale your business. Um, and also head to adventurefittravel.com. Use radio as a code and you'll get 10% off any and all trips. Speak to you next week. Yo.